churn and burn bottom of the barrel digital marketing firms or digital marketing agencies that are focused on producing content at volume against really unsophisticated content marketing strategies. Content. It's really easy to see chat GPT or similar models eliminating low level digital marketing firms. Welcome to the High Voltage Business Builders Podcast, a show where we interview high voltage entrepreneurs growing and scaling through e-commerce, real estate, and other wealth without Wall Street ventures, showing you the path to making your first or next million. Hey folks, welcome to the call. It's Neil from the High Voltage Business Builders. So if you are interested in talking about content marketing today, if you're really interested in learning about data-driven marketing and content strategies for your business, whether it's around uh, direct-to-consumer acquisition or content acquisition, lead acquisitions, consultants, even e-commerce or anything around a digital marketing strategy, you're going to want to pay attention to this. I have a very wonderful guest here today who is going to talk to us about what he's been doing in the data-driven marketing area and what he's going to be doing this year and probably in the next year. So we're going to talk a little bit about all that in the next 20, 25 minutes or so. Aaron, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks very much for having me. All right. So give us some insights as to what you see happening. I know there's a lot of fascinating things in the market right now, but what do you see happening right now that's of most interest to you? Yeah. So I'll, I'll briefly describe my company, Wheelhouse Digital Marketing Group. So we're a performance-driven digital marketing firm, been around for about 12 years. We have three core practice areas. One is digital strategy. So that is content strategy and content marketing. We have digital advertising, which is all performance marketing. So it's paid search, paid social display, programmatic display. And we have a marketing sciences team, which is data science, business intelligence, analytics, and strategic engineering. Really big shift for us has been an investment in our own technology and in particular a focus on marketing sciences over the last two to three years. Uh, lots of firms say that they have their own IP. Usually what they mean is a process or some unique methodology for doing things. And we certainly have that, but we're a little bit different in that we actually have a, a patent issued for our technology and we've developed applications that enable us to uh, employ and really leverage data-driven marketing in a way that's unusual in the space. So let's sort of talk about uh, digital marketing and the changes over the last few years, the rise of privacy regulations, the restrictions in data that are available to uh, advertisers and marketers, the increasing restrictions around the way that marketers can target, particularly around digital advertising, thinking of Google specifically and limitations around PPC targeting. And this is, again, really germane for uh, e-commerce clients, paid social and social targeting and the extent to which the way that you historically could target audiences, all that is, is pretty much gone by the wayside. Yeah. And then finally, the rise of automation, right? Notably, you know, recently the thing that's gotten all the attention is chat GPT, but yeah. what's happening behind the scenes is automation around audience targeting and bid management and audience definitions. And the things that we had uh, at our fingertips for years that enabled us to be super effective particularly in the digital advertising space, we've really seen them go away. We can't, on the e-commerce side, you know, Google has forced folks to start using performance max search ads. Right? So you're not actually able in an e-commerce context to explicitly define the ad structure that you want. You can assemble the parts and you can give those to Google and Google will optimize them and will optimize even the placement of that ad. But increasingly what you're doing is feeding a machine that's going to take care of targeting for you, is going to take care of bidding for you. And what becomes critical is that the data that you feed that machine with yeah. is really accurate and highly tuned to get the outcome that you want. So our focus has been on 
uh, aggregating you know, all of the, the data that we can from a first party perspective, aggregating all of the channel data that we can from every advertising platform, even integrating down to a CRM level in a data warehouse we developed so that we have a wealth of information that we can use to feed the machines to ensure that we can target the audiences we want with the creative that actually performs and get the outcome that we need. It's a really significant paradigm shift for us. It's a shift toward strategy. It's a shift toward data. It's a shift toward understanding and leveraging automation. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack in everything you just said. Let's pull out a couple of those points and maybe double click on them. AI and automation and, uh, you know, where it currently is and where it's going, I think are important for people to, to listen to today, especially from your expertise. And of course, uh, you mentioned the, the latest verbal keyword of the day is chat GPT, which I've been playing around just a little bit too, which is fascinating. I've been posting some stuff yeah. on my social media about prompts and ideas and just, you know, there's some slants and, and, and just, you know, what can you trust AI to give you or tell you if it's not going to necessarily give you all the answers or even it's going to distort some of the answers based on how it was programmed. So one of those was, you know, a Mark Twain book, and it was talking about some of the language of the book. And the language of the book is for historically accurate times. However, it didn't want to respond. It just simply said, right. I can't respond that way because, you know, it's not, it's, a, it, what was the, I see if I can have the language prompt come up here in a second, but uh, basically it said something to the effect of, I, I can't do that because I don't want to, let's see, I'm sorry, but I'm not programmed to do uh, anything in stereotype or demeaning any particular group of people, including women or men or whatever. It's just like, it's like, oh, okay. Like, you're not going to tell me because you don't want to. I wonder how, how is that going to shape things going forward? Let's start with that topic for a second. How do you see that shaping the conversation and the marketing and how do you see people using that positively or negatively? Yeah, well, the awareness of, Ch- of ChatGPT, I think in the near term, is going to have the bis- biggest implication for digital marketing specifically, in that you can see already that ChatGPT uh, and other large language models that are similar can pretty easily approximate low-level digital marketing work. So the sort of production-level work that an agency might do or even an in-house team might do, ChatGPT can do with a good deal of fidelity. I know that you're not supposed to use AI for the rules of search engines and other platforms. Yeah. It's also pretty easy to get around that by making minor modifications Modern to the content models. that's produced. Plagiarism and copywriting. And sure. Yeah. Yeah. So use an engine to get you to 90% and apply an additional 10%, and now it is, in fact, your own content. But I, I think just the awareness that an AI engine exists that can do this sort of work, I think by definition begins to commoditize low-level digital marketing work. It does, work. does it not? It starts to eliminate certain roles or capabilities where you might take an advanced, you know, marketing person who's going to go in there and try something initially, like just asking it to create a YouTube script for a 30-year-old woman who wants to lose weight, who also likes journals and self-healing and give me a, you know, a 30-second script. Well, right. I mean... While that's going in the background, he's off getting the images and the thumbnails and stuff done. So there's a multitasking role of certain capable individuals. Do you see it eliminating a complete level of marketing types or marketing demographics or marketing people, agencies and others? Do you see that kind of eliminating or enhancing any of that? I I think it's not too much of a stretch and see it eliminating low level digital marketing firms. Churn and burn, you know, create let's say sort of bottom of the barrel digital marketing firms or digital marketing agencies that are focused on producing content at volume against really unsophisticated content marketing strategies. The sort of firm that says, we're going we're gonna to churn out a blog post every few days, and this is a volume play, which is unsophisticated and doesn't really work now anyway. And yet there still appears to be a market for that sort of thing. Content. It's really easy to see chat GPT or similar models taking the place of yeah. and, and completely eliminating those firms. I think that what it does point to 
from a value perspective is the criticality of really strong strategy, the orchestration of channels, the orchestration of tactics, and sophisticated analysis. I think ChatGPT and other models like it can absolutely begin to optimize within a particular channel, within mm -hmm. a particular sphere, mm -hmm. but they can't orchestrate among those channels. And they don't understand the interplay and can't make sophisticated analysis yet. And so our focus is very much on very sophisticated strategic work, orchestrating among channels and understanding when to invoke tactics, and then using our own technology and others to create, gain the greatest efficiency possible. So with that in the content, obviously volume versus quality, this is always the debate you know, in marketing language and world and whether or not you can take over SEO or whatever. But there's also a volume of data that's required for these engines. So in terms of the segue, what we talked about a minute ago is as you feed the data of the engine, you can't necessarily get in and tell it all these things anymore. Like you can't say, I want target and demographics and age and these types of interests because that's all being removed. Right. So we're going back to broad marketing, which means getting your message right. It's it's literally a cyclical, isn't it? I mean, didn't this used to be the way Ogilvy did things? <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. I mean, arguably, Google's finally delivering on you know their asserted promise of many, many years ago Yeah. that it, that it really is about quality content and getting the message right. I think from a, a digital marketing perspective, that points to two things. One is the increasing centrality of what you know about your customers. Yep. Profiling and also just customer lists and prospect lists. Yeah. Because in many contexts, you need that information so that you can upload it to the engines and do things like lookalike modeling and targeting. You, you can't use the data that otherwise would have been gathered and gleaned by these platforms because you don't have access to it anymore. But what you know about your customers, the prospect list, the customer list you have, and all of the attributes you've been able to gather and everything you've been able to augment that list is yours. And it's yours to upload and use from a modeling or targeting perspective. And then uh, on the back end of that, it points to the criticality of not just getting your message right, but also ensuring creative is right. Uh, that if you're doing anything in the way of visual advertising, that you're constantly testing that creative to tweak yeah. and tune, that you're doing the same thing from a landing page perspective. Uh, so you are right. I mean, to a, a significant extent, we're back to kind of that traditional agency model, get the message right, find your right audience, right. test the creative. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what you yeah, put into chat, GPT or Jasper or any of these other natural language engines is going to basically help define that avatar. And you can't just assume that it's going to tell you what you probably should already know about your audience and consumer and who's actually going to value from this and turn marketing into active dollars and revenue than just right. a broadband shotgun approach. And I think this is where we splinter off that cyclical return isn't completely going to go all the way back to the day of, of human generated content marketing anymore. I mean, AI is now the component, as you said, that feeds the data that you give it enough data and it starts to get smarter and smarter and smarter about who you're trying to touch and getting connected, connected with. And I know that's where Google's going with its AI, right? It's just basically saying, hey, look, man, we know better than you. We got all the data. So if you right. just tell the engine enough about all the things you know about your profile, your avatar, their age, what they do, what their hobbies are, like as much as you can about them, you just give it more and more and more and more data. It's going to become more finite as to where it approaches the data that's relevant to your campaign, your ad, your lead, your gen, your econ, whatever. It's just getting smarter and smarter. How long does it take for that engine to learn and how much data do you have to give it before it really starts to dial in your campaigns? Ooh, boy, that's a tricky question. I don't know that I can answer a, a how much, right? Any data that we can feed the engine with, we see improvements from. It, it depends, right? So if I were to look at an e-commerce, let's say conversion with cart data, 
or an e-commerce site. The more that you can feed it, obviously, profitability, margin information, the more product feed data you can provide it with, and the more time you can give it to run, the better. We have a large e-commerce client that we just implemented conversion with cart data for oh, three weeks ago, and we can already see runaway products and categories where that data is really rapidly helping us to optimize yeah. and, and drive really significant yeah. gains and super profitable gains. Yeah. I think what this points to is, so you've got, we've got big platforms with lots of data on the other side. The thing that you have to do as an agency or even as uh, just an enterprise running your own advertising is ensure that you have your own data and you have your own technology and tools to govern those right. platforms and their technology so they don't do dumb things. Because Google's bias is still, and other platforms' bias is still, to get you to spend as much as possible. There's a money-making machine, just to be very clear, behind your credit card and the ad campaigns going live, right? They want so you to for spend example, on CPMs. We have a platform that we use to identify wasted spend or areas where, you know, we should be focusing on the organic side of the equation rather than the paid side of the equation. Yeah. And it pulls in hundreds and hundreds of thousands of keywords and associated advertising data for an entire advertising ecosystem and can show us what competitors are doing and can show us the interplay between where an advertiser is spending money on ads and they also are ranking organically or should be ranking organically. So we can really quickly tune and invest on the organic side, which mm. you know yields over time. And we can analyze and we can see those instances in which an advertiser is spending against language that they shouldn't be spending against. And those are super quick wins. So now we're using big data and tools and we can turn off 20% of an advertiser spend on average and it's a savings. There's no hit to revenue. Because it's just wastage yeah. that you can't see without a platform like this. Yeah, you got to track it, of course. Track and measure, or why why do it all in the first place, right? And on the DTC yep. side, you know, they've got those engines and the algos on the traffic and audience and conversion side, whether it's YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever. For us, starting with an e-commerce brand, a slightly different channel, different lane, we're, we're feeding Amazon's algorithm and its engine of e-com a lot of data as much as we can right up front about a target product area and demographic we're after. We take a little bit of a more of a data shotgun approach where I know people are taking our single product approach and trying to move it to the market. And well, it's not enough data. The engine is wanting to be fed data to align you with customer purchase intent. And you give it less data, you get bad results. You give it more data and it literally helps pick out which size or shape or variation or color or type or whatever of your product and your brand at that time at your price point for your data is going to show you where you are in the market. And then you gotta learn to read it. And this is one of the things we've been doing for, for a long time. And like you said, build your own systems and pull your data. It's just a giant engine and it wants data. It wants to know how you're going to receive and how it's going to receive data. And obviously in the intent and e-com for the Amazon side is purchase intent. Yep, but yep. as you mentioned, ranking and rankability, you should know that for anybody listening that Amazon, when I go in and buy traffic against that avatar and I let that we literally attach an AI system for campaign and PPC management with our own templates. And when it goes and does this data and data mining, its intent is to tell me exactly how my products will rank organically. Because Amazon's one of the only engines where I PPC ads will rank my product organically inside of its engine. So the yeah. closer I am an algorithmic to the A9 on my content listing and data that I feed it over here for the products, and the more combined I am with my PPC marketing and AI strategy over here, the faster my pay traffic campaigns rank my products. And people don't quite understand that yet. They haven't realized the connectivity because here's what's happening. Just to sum it up, there are two data systems, two AIs talking to each other. 
can you imagine? Like we're taking the human equation out of that. What are we doing? We're simply giving it the product and the data and saying, well, we think the market wants this. And then the two AI systems are talking to each other and determining, you know, based on PPC spinner organic ranking, where we fit in that equation. Yeah. Amazon's fascinating in that, you know, they do exactly the opposite of what Google claims. Google claims there's a total separation between church, church and state. And on Amazon, it's really clear. There's an interplay between the there's two. It's explicit interplay. What's fascinating yeah. too is when you watch the other algorithms outside like Google or TikTok or uh, Twitter or anything else affect the Amazon organic ranking. When you run PPC mm. traffic on Facebook, you will watch your organic lift on Amazon. Do you know why? For those paying along, it's, I was saw it on Facebook. I went to Amazon to see if it was there. Exactly. Deers, <laughs> right? And in your world, if you can't track that, you can't track the revenue or opportunity. You may shut down a campaign on Facebook that's not looking really good, but not have realized you're getting a very good organic lift on your Amazon campaigns and cut off that ad on Facebook and then watched your Amazon rankings go down and your profit go down on Amazon. You're like, what's happening over here? I don't understand. Exactly. Yeah, that's why we found it in increasingly critical to have all of that channel data in a single data warehouse and to harmonize the data so that we can understand what messages are being served to you know an, an audience member at what point in the funnel Smart. and how attribution works so that we can see YouTube, yes. we can see Facebook and understand, all right, that was a top funnel touch, but you can see the conversion yeah. because we've combined all that data in a single data warehouse. Now, with all those changes that are occurring, and I know there's a big old iOS thing that some might know about who are listening to this and figured out, where, where did you see all that changing? Have they backpedaled on any of the iOS issues? Have they backpedaled on any of the tracking stuff? Are you still looking for ways to fix a lot of that? They've not backpedaled, no. Okay. And I don't think they're, they're going to. I think, you know, if you look at their business interests, it creates kind of a walled garden for Apple. Yeah. And in fact, it it's pretty clear that, that Apple's building their own DSP. So they're going to have That's their right. own ad advertising ecosystem, which they define through privacy regulations. And I don't think, you know, I think that, that the same is true for other providers as well. There's not going to be any walking back of the increasingly restrictive privacy regulations. The most restrictive environments both geographically and from a regulatory perspective, I think are really leading the charge on this stuff. And by necessity, you're seeing platform providers, analytics providers having to come out with new versions of their technology that are completely reimagined to function in this new, very restrictive world. GA4 is, you know, the perfect poster child for that. An event-based, based, there's a, pardon me, an event-based data model rather than mm -hmm. a session-based data model is almost entirely, I think, to be responsive to the regulatory environment. It's worse for marketers, yet much more challenging to work with, but it's, it's the only way that they could see to create a new version of their analytics platform that wasn't going to fall afoul against those regulations here. And in particular in the European Union, where by last count, I think I looked yesterday, there are three, maybe four countries that have declared Google Analytics illegal to even mm -hmm. run. Mm -hmm. Um, because yeah. of their current data model and because of what they do with the data once they collect it as well. Yeah. So no, I don't think it, I don't think that changes. I think it only gets more restrictive. And then more. it becomes incumbent upon all of us to knit together that data outside of the context of a single platform so that we can actually understand what's happening. So it frees the pixel, right? Now, no more pixel. <laughs> um, the yeah. pixel is pretty much becoming irrelevant, right? Um, and there's got to be other ways to tracking. I, I know, shout out to Alex Becker over at Hyros. I know that they've done a great job of spending a lot of time working uh, on that uh, 
strategies for tracking and maintaining DTC conversions and stuff where pixels are no longer valid for conversions. And fr frankly, my own experience, they don't really work that well. Anyways, I'm not sure they ever did right. for the interest of the marketer. I think they were more in the interest of the engine itself <laughs> where you were spending your dollar amounts was better than you using it. So as yeah. we continue forward in 2023, what are some of the, you know, what's the three to five top 10 things you want to list that you know, are, you think are going to be relevant for people uh, to pay attention to in the next year? Well, so we just hit on one of them. That's yep. figuring out how to behave and, and how to optimize in um, a more restrictive analytics environment, yep. um, figuring out how to take control of your own destiny by instrumenting your site in a way that is going to be as future-proof as possible and gives you control of the data within uh, your own infrastructure, aggregating all of your marketing data in your own repository. You know, it doesn't have to be your own data warehouse, but figure out something that allows you to see and understand all of your digital marketing data in a single harmonized context. And again, you know, to harken back to something that we said earlier, go back to thinking about marketing in kind of an old school way. We're dealing with marketing funnels again. We're thinking about user intent. We're thinking about the right message, the right user based on their intent and position and funnel. And yes. then think about and implement instrumentation on your site that enables you to understand exactly what's happening there. That a person came in and they were looking for a solution to a problem and they consumed organic content. All right, let's make sure that we understand that in our analytics data and that we then can serve them the right message from a paid perspective to move them down funnel and manage the interplay between paid and organic to get to conversion. It really requires a much more sophisticated approach to analytics, a more sophisticated approach to data. On the content side, this definitely is, you know, this is an issue, a matter of quality over quantity, really thoroughgoing, very thoughtful content strategies that start with the centrality of user needs and user intent and the ability to serve those needs and address that intent with content that establishes authority and trustworthiness that can't be gamed. And particularly, again, as AI engines like ChatGPT sort of rise to the fore, there are gonna be a lot of people trying to game content. So establishing a way where you can, with certainty, stand out as a trusted entity providing content from a known source that has authority in the space is going to put you in good stead. And then own your customer data. Know as much as you can about your customers, augment that data with everything you can and use it to drive targeting uh, and use that to drive creative testing and message testing to optimize performance. Yeah, this is well said, Aaron. Thank you so much for that information, guys. If you're paying attention to this, if you're in the e-com, direct marketing, digital consumer marketing, if you have a content strategy, if you're thinking about what to do at the next steps, I hope you're paying attention to this. The message I heard was quality over quantity. Stay targeted into who you know and, and what you know about them. Get them into a position of know, like, and trust with your content. One video can reach millions of people. You don't need millions of people to reach one person. I think that's the point here that I heard today. Aaron, thank you for sharing that with us today. Absolutely. Thanks very much. Hey there, it's Neil Twas, CEO at Voltage. I really appreciate you checking out this podcast. If you're still listening, then clearly you're serious about making a move in the business world. So let me ask you this. If you're serious about building an e-commerce business starting on Amazon FBA, what if myself and my team worked with you one-on-one -on -one to execute the steps outlined in the podcast while helping you discover what the heck to sell, how to make sure it's profitable, and how to successfully launch a brand? Plus, 
how to do it under a consulting plus performance-driven model where I put a $10,000 skin in the game guarantee for those that show up and are serious about building a real business done with us. If yes, text keyword profit to plus one four one seven four one three four two zero nine. That's one four one seven four one three four two zero nine. And I will personally respond with a few simple questions. If you're not in the US or Canada, please visit voltagedm.com. That's voltagedm.com. Click get started and book a no pressure discovery call with me or a member of my team to learn more about the business builders one-on-one coaching and mentoring for CEOs, entrepreneurs, and those looking to build an empire or retire using the power of e-commerce. Once again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next week for a brand new episode of the High Voltage Business Builders Podcast.